Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. A little background first while you're turning there. Uh, This is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angel of the Lord, which uh, many people believe is the the pre-incarnate Christ. And uh, other angels have come to visit Abram to tell him. No, they've come to visit him to tell him he's going to have a son. And as they're leaving, they said, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? Because he's going to become a great nation. So they tell Abram that this cry of judgment, cry for judgment, has come up to heaven for Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a wicked town, and judgment is about to fall. And so he tells Abram, this is his covenant partner, I'm about to destroy these towns. And, and the, as most of you remember, he, Abram, uh, Abraham enters into this uh, bargaining conversation with God. Saying, well, are you gonna, what if there's 50 righteous people in that city? Are you going to wipe out the whole city and, and along with the righteous? He says, well, you know, if, there's righteous, if there's 50 righteous people, I'll spare the city. And he bargains him down to, uh, what, 10? And what if there's only 10? You know, he goes down 45. What if there's 40? You know, there's only five less. Are you gonna, and I'll, I'll spare it, I'll spare it, I'll spare it. And there's a whole sermon wrapped up in that that I'm not going to preach tonight. Uh, but, of course, what Abraham is concerned about is that his nephew Lot lives in Sodom. And Lot's wife and his daughters. And Abraham's concern is them being destroyed along with the city. So this is the background. And now in chapter 19, when we'll begin in verse 12, these uh, these angels show up. These men. But they're angels. We know they're angels. They show up. And they show up at Lot's house. And they're confronted with some of the... uh, there's an unpleasant interaction with some of the men of the city that we're not going to go into tonight because it's not the point of tonight. But beginning in verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But, his sons-in-law, but to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry. Underline that word. Urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered... The men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought him outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please, let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, 
in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry! Escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the, from the Lord out of the heavens. What I want you to notice, obviously, since I told you to underline, is the hurry. Hurry. Get up. Get out. Escape for your life. And then Lot makes this request. Thanks for saving my life. Thanks for getting me out of the city. Thanks for the warning. Uh, but I can't live in the mountains. See that little city over there? Because he told him, get out of the Basically, he's going to destroy this whole plain. He says, there's a little city over there on the plain. It's just a little one. Can I move there? Yeah, fine. Go there, and I won't destroy that city. But hurry, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Here's my question. What's the rush? What's the rush? Keep that in mind, and look at this. In Acts... Uh, chapter 12. Acts 12, beginning in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to further seize, uh, further seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison. And delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. You can underline that word. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird up yourself uh, and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And, when they, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. There's a whole sermon there, too. I've preached it before. But what I want you to see this time is this sense of urgency. Arise quickly. There's, yeah, I get this picture of the angel after he wakes him up going, come on, come on, come on, get dressed, get dressed, follow me, follow me. Let's get out. And again, I ask, what's the hurry? Was the angel afraid of the guards? You know, in uh, 2, Kings, 2 Kings chapter 19, one angel, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one day. And you remember that Jesus, this was the night he was betrayed in Gethsemane, and Peter went and struck Malchus and cut his ear off and decided to try to fight at that moment. And Peter said, stop it. Don't you know that I could call on my father right now and he would send 12 legions of angels? And we talked about that not too long ago. That, that, that's a, that, that could be 72,000 angels. And did you know that that's 72,000 angels and one angel killed 185,000 in a day. 72,000 times 185,000 is... 13,320,000,000 people. 
Now, just because we have a little time to talk about it, let's, talk, let's see what goes into that assumption. I believe, I think the Bible bears this out, that there are ranks of angels. There are different angels with different missions, uh, different jobs, different abilities. And so probably not every angel is equipped or gifted or called or positioned to kill like the angel that killed 185,000. Uh, also, Lot didn't have the authority to summon them like Jesus did. These angels were there on assignment from God to rescue Lot and his family because and only because of Abraham. Lot was not really (laughs) this paragon of virtue, but God was rescuing Lot because of Abraham's prayer. That angel that we just read about was on assignment from God to rescue Peter because of two things. Number one, his friends were praying for him. And number two, Jesus had promised Peter, had mentioned really in a conversation that he would grow old. I think that's why Peter was able to sleep. It's because Jesus told him, when you are old, this is going to happen to you. But all things considered, my point is that angels have nothing to fear from godless human beings. Can we agree on that? So what's the hurry? I think there, there's only two real possibilities that I can imagine. And one is this. Remember, the devil and demons are real. But they don't have unlimited resources. Uh, Revelation talks about the dragon who swept away a third of the stars of heaven. And many people, including myself, believe that this was representative of Lucifer or the devil, Satan, leading one-third of the angelic host in rebellion against God. That when uh, Satan rebelled against God, a third of the, angel, uh, the angelic host joined him, uh, and that means there is a finite number of angels and a finite number of demons, because it doesn't make sense. If angels are an infinite number, There's no one-third of infinity is still infinity, right? I mean, if you say every third number up through an infinite number, you've still got an infinite number. So there's a finite number of angels, a finite number of demons, but whatever this number is, the good angels outnumber the demons two to one. And God himself is supplying the power to the angels. So here's the other thing. God is omniscient and omnipresent. Satan is not. God has a huge tactical advantage. So here's what I'm saying. Maybe the urgency is, let's get this done before the enemy has time to organize some kind of resistance. Even though that resistance is ultimately going to be futile, let's just get her done. In support of that, I offer Daniel chapter 10. Now this, you know, uh, the early chapters of Daniel are the, what I would call, uh, I don't mean to be irreverent, but the fun stuff to read. You know, the the fiery furnace and the the dreams and the visions and and, uh, the lion's den and all this other stuff. And now we have Daniel in prayer. And he has this this vision that we'll read about here, beginning in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus... King of Persia, 
A message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. This is the introduction that basically lays out what happens for the next couple chapters. Now, here's Daniel. In those days, verse 2, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no, uh, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz, and his body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Sometimes I think we forget when we read that, that Daniel was in Persia. It's almost like we picture uh, the angel's on his way to Daniel and he gets hung up in Persia. This is where Daniel is. And he's delayed from appearing to Daniel with this answer, with this encouragement, with this word. For a specified time because of the prince of Persia. And Michael, the archangel, comes and helps him. What's going on? What is happening here? Well, the most obvious answer is that there is a spiritual battle going on between angels and demons. Now, I have no idea what form this battle took. It could be, now I believe that... Uh, when we talk about guidance from God or influence from the devil, that what happens, and I believe angels are involved in this, uh, and, and the best picture I can give you is of angels or demons whispering in your ear. This is something I think the cartoons and movies get about half right with the angel and devil on your shoulder, pulling you one way or the other. And I think this is how spirits influence governments with suggestions to the mind. All right? And so we have got uh, the, the literal physical king of Persia who is being pulled on and, and, and his you know, sub-rulers. And Daniel was a high-ranking official, of course, but he was untouchable, I think, in terms of uh, demonic attack. But these demons were trying to influence something. What was it? The, the time frame will help you. There's a... Uh, uh, what's going on here during this time... It says in the, this was in the third year of Cyrus. 
In the first year of Cyrus, Cyrus issued the decree that released all the Jews who wanted to, to go back to Jerusalem. Now we know, we talked about just last week or the week before, that not all of them did. Uh, Zerubbabel went back with a contingent and he had been He'd been to Jerusalem and come back, and the reports just weren't all that good. Jerusalem was still in ruins. And this is what was troubling Daniel. This is why he went into this fast. And then this angel comes to deliver this word, and part of the problem is, this is a huge deal. If you read your history, if you're into archaeology, one of the biggest finds is the Cyrus Cylinder. They've got a a record of Cyrus issuing this decree. And so much of the key to understanding a lot, not all, but a lot of biblical prophecy and the book of Revelation is to understand what the devil was trying to do down through the ages. You go back to Genesis and what did God tell the serpent? That his head was going to be crushed by the heel of the seed of the woman. So Satan exercised his influence down through the centuries, down through the millennia, trying to wipe out the seed of Abraham. Once he recognized that this was God's man, this was the one he was going to bring this, the heel that was going to crush him, he tried to wipe out the Jews on a number of occasions. Right up into our, uh, our present time. Okay, but he tried to, uh, he's always been at war with the Jews, but he, he was trying to prevent Jesus And so, this idea that the Jews who had been taken captive, they'd been defeated, they'd been, uh, this captivity for seven years, now they had been officially released by the reigning power. This was bad news for the kingdom of darkness. And so there was a spiritual power that was present there, I believe, trying to get Cyrus to go back on this or trying to raise up some government official, maybe even trying to kill Cyrus to raise somebody who was less friendly to the Jews up into power. And this was the spiritual battle, I believe, that could have been going on. I don't know. I mean, or it could just, maybe they're just fighting in the spiritual realm just like you and I would fight in the physical realm. I don't know. Uh, But here's the thing. There was this apparent delay in getting to Daniel, even though the prayer was responded to on the first day. And the delay took place because demonic powers already had a foothold in Persia. There's a saying that we had in the army uh, that terrain favors the defender. When you take into everything into account, here's our strength, here's their strength. Here's our weapons, here's their weapons. But if they're defending and we're attacking, we're at a disadvantage because they can dig in. They can dictate where we have to face them if we're the ones on the move. And so here we've got these demonic powers who are more or less entrenched in Persia. Now again, it's futile because God is behind the angelic powers. But there was a battle. There was a delay because these spirits were there. I bring this whole thing up. Now, and well, let, me, um, let me back up for a second. Am I saying there was no demonic presence in Sodom? Because it didn't take that long to get Lot out of Sodom. And of course there was a demonic presence in Sodom. But you look at the kind of sins that Sodom was accused of. These abominations, these sexual perversions. In addition to their lack of hospitality. And uh, you will find, keep in mind again, Satan has limited resources. 
and he can't be everywhere at once. And it's a really convenient thing to say, I did this because the devil attacked me. Or there's a demon who has attached himself to me so I couldn't help doing this. When the fact is, uh, while the devil might have, uh, or a demon might have uh, planted an idea or presented a temptation, there are addictions and lifestyle sins that are self-perpetuating. And so once you are accustomed to embracing a certain type of sin, devil can leave you alone. Your flesh is all that's necessary for you to continue in that. You understand? Now, I'm not saying demonic possession and oppression don't happen. They do. They absolutely do. But you can't say that every single addict has a demon and every, every single uh, habit has a demon, a physical demon or a literal demon on you. I don't think there are that many demons. I think that's why the devil likes addictions. Because they're self-perpetuating, it frees him up to do other things. So again, we've got this, this possibility that the rush is on to get God's will done before attracting demonic attention. We have, an, we have an example here in Daniel, I believe, where the demons were already there. Again, a foothold that the angels had to press through. And then in the case of Peter and in the case of Sodom, it's like we're going to get this done before the demons get here so we don't, uh, this doesn't turn into a protracted battle. That's a possibility. Here's what I think is more likely. And it's not necessarily an either or. Uh, let's, in fact, let's look at Psalm 103. My favorite psalm, by the way. But we're not going to read my favorite part. Psalm 103. This is the one that begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and not, forget not all his benefits. Now, down in verse 20, it says this, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. This is what angels do. They do the will of God and they hasten to do the will of God. This is a beautiful picture to me. We've got in the case of Sodom a cry for judgment from the city. This is an evil city that's, that has become such a stench to God that judgment has to fall. And so God says to a couple of angels, you, you, Go down there, destroy that city. But first, get Lot and his family out of there. Now, can you imagine a response from an angel like, sure thing, when I get around to it. Peter's friends were praying for his deliverance. Jesus had promised Peter old age. He's in chains the night before his execution. And God tells an angel, okay, go get Peter out of there. I had an opportunity during my guard days. I wish I could remember this guy's name. I worked for a major for two weeks up in Wisconsin where he had, uh, I was an anti-tank guy. Most of, most of my time, most of my military career, my illustrious military career was in uh, uh, tow missiles. 
And this major, who was an old calf guy, he was kind of a weird kind of legend. He'd had half his body burned up pulling some soldier out of a tank that had caught on fire during a training exercise. But he was a hard charger, rough guy. And uh, I really didn't like him that much, but he was, a, he was a very dedicated professional. And somebody told me, if you get the chance to work for this guy, work for this guy. So I put in for this, this duty, and I ended up spending two weeks. And what he had done is set up this, this enormous open field and this exercise where he would send these uh, tanks and uh, armored personnel carriers racing and zigzagging across this plane for these uh, tow gunners, tank, you know, these uh, tube launch, optically tracked, wire-guided command link, or wire command link guided missile, to anti-tank missiles to... And it was all done with lasers. We were, really weren't blowing them up, of course. But it was the coolest, most realistic exercise anybody had come up with in, uh, in many, many years. And so it attracted a lot of attention. So every day, some brass or another would come out to observe. And then we get word that the adjutant general, the top-ranking guardsman in the state of Illinois, was going to come and look. And I am basically out there as the major's gopher. I started to say, I wish I could remember this guy's name so I could look him up, but I bet he's dead. He's just that kind of guy. I just can't imagine him living that long. He just lived too hard. But anyway, there I am. It's pretty easy duty. There's a lot of downtime. I don't have to do much of anything. These, these units would come in for the training. I'd tell them where to go, and then the training would happen. And then here comes a helicopter. And the major looks at me and says, LT, hop in that Jeep. Go down to the landing pad and bring the general back here. Now, what if I had just sat down with a cup of coffee and I decided to finish my coffee first? And the major came out, I thought I told you to go get the general. And I could say, I'm going to. You didn't say when. Now, I don't know how many of you have had military experience, but even if you haven't, can you imagine how that conversation would go? That'd be bad news. Now, a major is not an extremely high-ranking officer, but to a lieutenant it is. And he told me to go get a general. Now, when God tells these angels, go destroy Sodom, get Lot out of there. They go down there and they say, let's go, hurry. Get out of the city. I can do nothing until you get out. There's this like, oh no, the, the angel feels like he's trapped. This destruction's going to come, and he's doing everything he can to hold it back. I don't think that's what's going on. You know what I think's going on? He is eager to fulfill the word of the Lord. I have been sent here to destroy this city, and I am determined to do it now. What's the hurry? What's the hurry? God told me to do it. That's what's the hurry. And I can't do it till you're out, so get out. Peter, get up. Hurry. What's the rush? What's the rush? God told me to get you out of here. As soon as I get you out of here, he might tell me to do something else. But I can't do anything else until you get up and get out of the city. So come on, get your clothes on. Let's go. Nothing but an urgent desire to do what God has told them to do. That's angelic behavior. We were in Psalm 119 a few weeks ago. Look at this. Psalm 119. In verse 59, it says this. I thought about my ways 
and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Now this turned my feet, after he considers his ways, this indicates repentance. There's a change in direction. But once he considered his ways and compared them to, to the word of God, he changed without delay. Is God telling you to do something? Act like an angel. Do it quickly. Final scripture, Hebrews chapter 3. We're just going to start in verse 12. There's a lot in here, and we may tackle it next week. Uh, probably not, though. We probably just wait till we're in Hebrews on Sunday mornings. Let's just read this little passage here beginning in verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And it goes on to talk about what the rebellion was, and it's talking about in, in Exodus. Like I said, we'll save that. But the most important and immediate application of this verse is salvation itself. Today, if you hear his voice. Most of us, I hope and I believe, if we actually heard an audible voice that we believed was the voice of God, or if we had a vision where God clearly told us to do something, no matter what it was, I believe most of us would hasten to do it. The salvation message is this. If God is tugging at your heart, you know you're a sinner, God has been dealing with you through a friend, through a family member, through dreams, through quiet times, through loneliness, through drives in the car. Something is gnawing at you. You know something is lacking. You know you need a Savior. That's the voice of the Lord. Don't wait another day to respond to it. And I'm looking at a, at a, at a room full of people that I know most of you are saved. But is he dealing with you about anything else? Is he dealing with you about serving in the church? Did you feel a tug at your heart when I mentioned the children's, the teacher's meeting? Are you a tither? Do you get that little pit in your stomach every time we take up an offering or mention something about the tithe? Is there a habit in your life that you can, you can defend and say, there's nothing in the Bible that says this is really necessarily a sin, but is God dealing with you about it? Anything. Do you ever, in your time in the Word of God, and I'm assuming that you spend time in the Word of God, in the Bible, do you ever encounter something and you read it and you think, I'm not doing that, and I should be doing that? Or do you ever encounter something and you're thinking, I, I'm doing this and I shouldn't be doing this? Because of something you read specifically? Take that as the voice of the Lord, because it is the Word of the Lord. As my wife will tell you, I'm a very smart man. Say it, Beth. 
No, no stipulations. My husband is a very smart man. Okay, she said yes. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I know. And this is, there are things that I get excited. I come up here almost every Wednesday and almost every Sunday. I'm excited to share things with you that God has revealed to me. And the reason I'm excited is not, hey, look what I know. It's because I know that in my role as pastor, God reveals those things to me for you. And so I get excited about sharing them with you. You know what he hasn't shared with me yet? You know what I'd love to know? At least I think I'd love to know it, but I don't know yet. I don't know when he's coming back. But I do know he is coming back. And if it's not for hundreds of years, here's another thing I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to die. But I know I'm going to die. I know you're going to die. I don't know if that's something I would want to know. There's a TV show that I will leave unnamed. Because I don't want to get fired. But at the <laughs> One of the main characters has a hard episode that he bounces back from. And at the end of the episode, he's talking to God. And he asks him a question. I don't even remember what the question is. And God says, you'll find that out when you die. And the main character says, but I can't wait that long. And God says, you can't wait six months? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's something we want to know, no matter how much we think we want to know point is, whether it's through death or the second coming, all of us in here are going to be standing before God someday. And I think with everything that's happening, what we ought to be really focusing on is on the return side of the equation. Jesus could come back anytime. And he's given us things to do. All right? And there are things that he desires to deal with us about in our own lives. And we can't shy away from those. He, wants to, he, he is shaping us. He is turning us. He is molding us into the image of Christ. We should look more and more like him as the days and weeks and years go by. But all of that is for making us useful to bring more people into the kingdom. We've got a mission. And it all comes down to obedience. Did you catch that line in Hebrews? The link between evil and unbelief? And you read through that, you'll go home and, and tonight and read the rest of that chapter or read around it. It keeps alternating between unbelief and disobedience. They're the same thing. That if you're disobeying, you're disbelieving. And it's the lack of faith and the lack of belief that God considers evil. So back to the question, is God dealing with you about anything? My first invitation and the most important one, if there's anybody in here, you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. This is the thing. He will not deal with you about issues in your life, I promise you, until he deals with you about life itself. We are all lost without Christ. None of us are righteous enough. None of us are good enough to get to God, to get to heaven on our own. This is what Christ died for. He died for all of us. And until we are humble enough to recognize, I need that. We can't be saved. Until we are humble enough to say, you need to be in charge because you are God, we can't be saved. But if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So when we start singing here after I pray, you want to get saved? Come up here. I'll lead you in a simple prayer, simple confession, simple expression of that belief. You will be saved. Anybody else? Is God telling you to do something? I'm not saying, well, I haven't had any visions. I haven't had any dreams. Have you read the Bible and come across something that you know God wants you to do? And you don't believe it's going to send you to hell. And frankly, I don't either. But is he telling you to do something? Will you be like an angel? Hurry. Quickly. I've got to get this done. If you want to come to the altar and just make a commitment, that's fine. Want me to pray with you? I will. Either way. Or if you want to stand out there, you can. Either way. Anyway make that commitment tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example we have of the angels. We believe angels are real. And we thank you for for giving them to us and assigning them as ministering spirits to protect us, to influence us, to do battle on our behalf. Father, help us. Even though we know our destiny, our eternal destiny is to be ranked higher than the angels, help us now to behave more like the angels, to hasten to do your will my prayer, my first prayer tonight, Lord God, if there's anybody in here who does not know you as Father, does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that you would convince them, convict them of their need for a Savior, and grant them the humility, the wisdom, and the boldness to come and receive that free gift of eternal life tonight, right now. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here, any of us, who have been ignoring what you have been leaning on us to do, that we would yield, and that we would yield quickly, and commit ourselves to doing that Uh, that which you've commanded in your word, in a vision, in a dream. Lord, help us to be found obedient like the angels. Pray this tonight, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And all the believers said, amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.